Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm assistant sports editor Mark Faulkner, joined by beat reporter Ted Colfin. Coming up, we'll hear from Shane Wright, the number one rated prospect for the 2022 NHL draft in Montreal on July the 7th and 8th. But first, Ted, the odds of the Red Wings getting into that lottery and joining the Shane Wright sweepstakes become smaller and smaller with each passing day. The six worst NHL teams will be in the draft lottery to possibly select Wright. And with last night's 4-2 win over the Oilers and heading into Thursday night's game against the Capitals, the Wings are actually tied for the fourth best record in the Eastern Conference at 7-5-2, two games over 500. Now, they played more games than any other team in the conference. Right. Just right. last week, Ted, you were on that road trip to Toronto, Montreal, Boston, and Buffalo, and they were on the verge of a four-game winless streak. But, Ted, things can turn around in a hurry. They've now won three in a row. I tell you, my friend, I mean, you have to give them credit. I don't think too many people mm-hmm. expected them to be 7-5-2 and two at this point. I really don't. They're playing good hockey. They're doing a lot of things well. You're absolutely right, Mark. It's, things can change, change in a week so dramatically and so quickly, and that's what's happened here. But, boy, I mean, they're playing with a lot of confidence. They're getting really good, steady goaltending. Mm-hmm. They're getting secondary scoring from people. Again, and we've mentioned this a couple times on the podcast, can, do we suspect this could last over 82 games? I'm still doubtful of it, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. As the calendar keeps on moving along here, they're still remaining competitive. We still have a long, long way to go, but give them credit. They're playing up up until game 14 or 15 here. They're playing good hockey. Ted, let's hear now from one of those secondary scorers, the first star of last night's game, Vlad Nemesnikov. He had a couple of goals including that highlight real goal in the first period. So here's our freelance reporter last night, Steve Kornacki, asking Nemesnikov and then coach Jeff Blaschel about that Connor McDavid-like goal. Talk about that first goal. It was it was kind of a thing of hockey beauty, and, and, and Sam started it for you. And, and, and talk about just the excitement that that created. Yeah, um, I don't know how it started. Kind of, I think someone rims puck and – we got it somehow and I had speed coming through and gags found me and I kind of saw I had that lane and, and took it to the net and just had to, you know, get it over the goalie there. But uh, it was a nice play by, by gags for sure. And I just had to, you know, put it in there. Yeah. Could you, could you talk about Vladislav's first goal and what, what a surge you gave to your team and then the crowd and everybody and just what he was able to accomplish tonight? I guess I thought he played really, really good. Um, you know, I thought uh, obviously getting on the board uh, first is is a, is a big part of winning. Um, and not to say that you shouldn't be able to win if you don't, but but you know, especially at home, especially 
you know, with the crowds as good as they've been. I thought the crowd was great tonight, great energy. And so it just gives you good momentum. Um, you know, so I think uh, uh, that, you know, that the game he played was real important for us. I thought it was one of his better games in the last little bit. Now he's had a good year, but I thought tonight was really good. So Ted, Vlad Nemesnikov, he's now second on the team, seven goals. Tyler Bertuzzi has nine goals and he's one goal away from tying last year's total of eight goals. Now, Nemesnikov knows he's not going to continue scoring at this pace. His career scoring percentage, he scores on 13% of his shots on goal. This year, it's at 36.8%. Almost every third shot's been going in. But, Ted, his strong two-way play, hasn't that really been a hallmark of these Red Wings forwards? Exactly. I mean, and they're playing defensively. Mm -hmm. They've really buttoned it down here on, on certain evenings here lately. But... Yeah, Nemetsakonov, that what a I mean, last season he admitted it was not a great season. It was a such a strange, fluky season. But these are the types of contributions that a team needs, and they're getting them. I mean, he's playing well, Sam Gagne's playing well, Mitchell Stevens on the fourth line. I mean, he can go right, mm -hmm, right. You go past that first line, that second line, they if they can get that second line going consistently, that would be a huge plus. I mean, they've had big evenings on certain evenings, but not consistently. But it's like we've often talked about. I mean, if they can roll four lines, it makes them a very good team. And the goaltending, Mark, I go back to the goal. I mean, they're, I mean they, that was expected to be a fairly decent strength of this team, and it has been. I mean, those two mm -hmm. have been consistently good each and every game. So. There's a lot of variables there that are positives. And you look at that division, I mean, it's still top-heavy. You got four very good teams, three teams that I think the Red Wings are probably better than. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of like squarely in the middle almost. So we'll, uh, this will be intriguing as the weeks and months go by where they fit. I mean, are they right in the middle? or Can they join that top four? I don't see them falling back too much, but maybe, but there is one other thing, Mark. What's that? We've kind of saw it here in the last week or two. They can't afford very many injuries. There's not okay. a lot of depth in Grand Rapids. And when we saw when there was no Larkin, no Bertuzzi in the lineup, that really weakened okay. the lineup, the depth, the quality of depth. I mean, you move, you shuffle people around. And they're not as nearly as strong as they need to be. So that is going to be one thing to look out for. They, they can't afford too many key injuries. Not that many, many teams can, but the Wings in particular, you lose a Bertuzzi, you lose a Larkin, you lose somebody of that caliber, like maybe one of the two rookies. And I think you're really, you're going to see this team take a slip as they did on that road trip. Ted, uh, talking about highlight real goals like Nemesnikov's last night, what did you make of Connor McDavid's goal against the Rangers? Four players back, including former Red Wing Patrick Nemeth. Two minutes left in the third period. Oilers down by one. And, of course, you know the rest. And McDavid was flying around last night. He scored a goal and uh, certainly must watch. It was TV. a great goal, too. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't nearly as flashy as the other one. But, boy, I mean, he's a rare talent. We're really lucky to watch him on a – consistent basis i mean that goal obviously mark i don't know what you have to say but <laughs> it was one of the 
I mean, it's going to be a highlight reel goal for the <laughs> for the duration. I mean, <laughs> it was just spectacular. Even he seemed yeah. kind of shocked by it all. But what a fun player to watch. Fun team. I really think Edmonton, I don't know about you, but I really think Edmonton could mm-hmm. be a threat to win that Western Conference. Let's uh, move on now to our interview segment. Our guest today is the 17-year-old hockey player who actually broke Connor McDavid's record for most goals at the under-18 World Championships. Here's Shane Wright. Joining us now is Shane Wright, the 17-year-old captain of the Kingston Frontenacs, who has broken two of Connor McDavid's junior scoring records and is the number one rated prospect for the 2022 NHL draft in Montreal on Thursday, July the 7th, and Friday, July the 8th, 2022. Shane, welcome to the podcast. Our Red Wings beat reporter, Ted Colfin, and I were just talking about Connor McDavid's goal the other night against the Rangers. McDavid was in town last night here in Detroit, and he put on a show. He had a goal and nearly tied the game. But what about Saturday night, Shane? What did you hear? When did you hear about the goal, and what was your reaction? Yeah, I think uh, one of my teammates just said in the chat, he's like, did you guys see that McDavid goal? Uh, I, I, didn't, I wasn't actually watching it live, but uh, after he said that, I went, I went online and, and looked, and I saw the goal, and it was just like, just unbelievable. It's, you know, some of the stuff he does, um, some of the plays he makes and, you know, in tight and um, just makes defenders look silly. Uh, it's, it's, it's crazy what he does. And um, it's almost like, you know, we're not even surprised he, he's making plays like that anymore. We're, we're so used to it because of, um, you know, he does it all the time and it's is just, just an incredible play overall. Shane, you're right. Like sometimes he makes moves like last night in tight. He can make people look silly. Like one of those four players back on defense or back on the play with the Rangers was a former Red Wings defenseman, Patrick Nemeth, who of course doesn't face anybody coming in that quickly and making those kind of moves. But you're right. Was there anything else about that goal when you think about it? Like it's, it was also a tying goal too, right? Shane, like they were down by one with two minutes left and, all of a sudden, he just uh, he took charge and went right to the net. Oh yeah, it was it was a big moment of the game. I think it was final minute of play. The Oilers were down. They had the goalie pulled, and um, you know it's it's a big goal to tie it up and, and to send it overtime. So yeah, uh, just just to make that play at that time of the game um, and that that moment as well is is incredible. Shane, what about the comparisons to Connor McDavid? You've broken two of his records, as I mentioned off the top. Most points per game as a rookie in the OHL. Most goals at the under 18s in Texas. And of course, it's unfair in many respects. You're just 17 years old. But I'm wondering, what can you learn, Shane, from watching Connor McDavid's career path? Yeah, I think, I think just, just learning a lot from, from you know, I, you know what, what the media and, and attention has looked like on him, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, he's had attention on him from, from such a young age. Um, and, and just the way he's dealt with it, um, the way he interacts with the media and, and, and handles himself. Um, I think it is something that I really look at, um, you know, obviously his on ice plays incredible and, and there's a lot to learn from that. Um, but what I look at is, is a lot is his off ice maturity, um, and, and how he handles, um, you know, the media and stuff. Obviously he, he, he's the captain and team. he's the leader as well. Um, so he, he has to handle, uh, some of those difficult questions after loss, um, mm-hmm. or difficult questions uh, in the room as well and, and learning how to manage his teammates. So. Um, those are definitely some things I look at. And then obviously his on ice play is incredible. Um, he's just fun to watch. He's, he's a guy that is so explosive and is so fun to watch and um, just, just makes you sit in the edge of your seat while you watch him and, um, and just, just an unbelievable player and, and, you know, by far the best player in the league as well. 
Shane, I talked to your general manager, Corey Cooper, and I asked him about your role as a captain. And he said that you care about your team first and individual accolades after that. He said, you'll do whatever it takes to make the team successful. And that's what you're going to bring to any NHL team. Now, forgetting about the NHL right now, who helped you develop that team first attitude? Yeah, I think that's just kind of something that, that I've, I've developed personally throughout the years. Um, mm-hmm. I've always been, uh, you know, I've always considered myself as a humble person and I've always considered myself as, as someone who looks to, you know, help better others um, over myself. And I think that's definitely translated into, into my leadership um, on the team and, and in hockey as well. Um, I think it's, it's you know, important to, to be aware of, you know, your own personal success and accolades, but um, being aware of the team and how the team's doing uh, is far more important and um, learn how to uplift guys and making sure that everyone's doing all right. Everyone's having a good time. I think is, is really important and um, definitely something that, that I tr- try to do a lot as well. Shane, that's interesting. Uplifting others that comes from humility. That comes from a lot of things. Like you said, that you can get pleasure from maybe a third line winger or somebody who's not dressed to uplift them. And that's not a role for everybody. So it's interesting. Is that something I bet you're really enjoying in Kingston this year? Yeah, it's great. I think it's, it's awesome when, when you see maybe a guy who doesn't play as much, you know, get score a big goal or, or make a good play, you know, you really get excited for them. You're really, uh, you're really happy for them. And, and, you know, you really congratulate them as well. And, and just, you know, uh, make them feel great. Obviously, they mm-hmm. you know they, they make a great play and it's it's and score a big goal. Uh, you know it's it's good for the team and helps the team a lot and, and it's it's exciting and um, you know it feels great overall and um, you know really really is nice to you know congratulate guys and and um, that's something that I that I try to do a lot as well. Shane, how would you describe the way you play? Corey Cooper said that you're a well-rounded player. He said you play both sides of the puck. They use you on the power play, the penalty kill, last minutes of games, face-offs. Now, statistically, you weren't averaging as many points at first, but you were just named OHL Player of the Week, eight points in three games. And then last night, you scored the winner in a shootout against Ottawa. So what are your thoughts about creating offense? Are you always on the go? What are your thoughts there, Shane? Yeah, I try to create offense uh, any way possible. Um, mm-hmm. I like playing off the rush and, and in zone. Um, I feel like uh, I can create you know, a lot with my speed and my quickness um, and uh, you know, definitely making plays off the rush. But also I feel like uh, you know, playing in zone and, and you know, getting the cycle going and protecting mm-hmm. the puck and, and making plays from below the goal line or um, you know, using my physicality to get to the net um, and uh, get to those dirty areas and, and make plays there as well um, is, is definitely something that I – uh, I take pride in some of that. Uh, I feel like I do pretty well as well. Shane, I also talked to Corey Cooper about a specific play last week against Mississauga. So you're up two to one in the third period. You are on the ice in your own zone with uh, LA Kings draft pick, Martin Kromiak, one of your wingers, a really talented Slovakian winger. Just the other day, he scored one of those lacrosse style goals. That was first done, by the way, by a Michigan player, Mike Leg, with the Wolverines in 1996. Now, you were circling, waiting for the pass. It was picked off. Mississauga scored, and then they won the game 3-2 in overtime. And I asked Corey uh, what you probably would have learned. You had a goal, you had six shots, and you won 13 of 27 face-offs. Those are just the stats. Now, Corey said that the OHL, of course, is a league of mistakes, and it's always there's always going to be instances like that. He said what he's noticed, though, about great players is that they're always looking to get better. So he said that 
they wouldn't need to talk to you to work on your face-offs or one-timers or even entries into the offensive zone, which I found pretty interesting as well, because he said, you've already asked for feedback. You're getting the small details, and those are things that you want to learn. So my question is, what did you learn about that turnover and not being able to close out the victory? Yeah, I think, I think that, that kind of symbolizes, you know, how our season's gone a little bit at the start. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we definitely played well. We've played really well as a team. Um, we've got up in games. We've we've had leads. Um, I think just, you know, the problem is we, we've given up a lot of leads and, and allowed teams to come back and and to, to, to take games away from us and take points away from us. So um, it, it's a good good lesson for, for mm-hmm. all of us on our team, uh, myself included, to, um, you know, if, 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 we're, if we're up late, up late in the period uh you know we want to we want to close out a game making sure that we're making smart plays and not not throwing pucks away to the middle um and turn it over and and giving it you know giving the other team uh easy chances to score um i think that's that's a really big thing learn how to you know, just close out those games um and and you know win games uh, that we're ahead in shane the one player you've been compared to is nathan mckinnon i saw him as a 15 year old in LaSalle. ontario he was playing for team atlantic at an under 17 tournament and i remember being down at ice level for warm-up, I could literally hear his skates digging into the ice like a freight train. He kind of reminded me of another right-handed centerman like Jeremy Roenick. What have you learned about watching McKinnon? You mentioned physicality and change of pace. What's, what stands out uh, to you, Shane, about watching Nathan McKinnon? Yeah, he's another guy that, that I really like watching. Obviously, he's you know one of the best players in the league. Um, he's mm-hmm. such an explosive guy. He He's, uh, like you said, really quick, really, really fast and strong on his feet, and, and he's super physical as well. He's, he's a big body and uh, uses his size to his advantage um, and has an unbelievable shot as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a guy that I, I really uh, enjoy watching, and, and um, he's a guy that I you know, see some similarities between my game and his as well. Shane, thanks for your time so far. There's a couple of more quick questions. Uh, why do you wear number 51? You wore 15 at the Worlds. Why 51? Yeah, my birthday is the fifth day of the first month. And then at, the at fifth Worlds, day of we, the first month. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and then at Worlds, we, we couldn't go above, I think, 20-something, around like 25 or something. So uh, 15 was, was next closest. Just flip the one and the five around, so. Next question, does it matter to you if you go number one in the draft in Montreal? There's so many good forwards this year, uh, Czechs, Russians, a lot of Americans at the NTDP program right around the corner here in Plymouth. Does number one mean anything to you? Yeah, it does. It, it means a lot to me. Um, it, it, it's mm-hmm. definitely uh, you know, a goal of mine going into this year is, is to be drafted and, and you know, drafted first overall. Um, it's it's you know, definitely something that means a lot to me. It's definitely something that that I want and it's definitely something that, you know, I, I know I can achieve. And um, as, as long as I, I do the right things and I, I play the way I know I can, um, I think I, I can accomplish it. Your uh, Frontenacs are ranked ninth in Canada right now, Shane. And there's so many good teams in Canada this year, uh, right down the road, like in London, the Knights have nine players that were uh, rated by central scouting. They're ranked fifth overall in fourth place are the Edmonton oil Kings with the goalie, the Red Wings drafted Sebastian Kosa. You've captained Canada's first gold since 2013, and you could captain Kingston's first Eastern title since 2016 and just the second overall. What has to go right for those things to happen for the Frontenacs to win the Eastern title? It's really competitive there. And then perhaps even moving on and winning the Memorial Cup. Yeah, I think, I think we definitely have taken a lot, a lot of steps in the right direction to start the year. Um, we, we definitely played well. We definitely showed off 
you know, that we're a strong team and that, that you know, we can compete uh, with the best in the league. Um, I think we definitely have a lot of growing to do. We definitely have a lot of areas for improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, um, I see a lot of promise in this team and this group. Um, we have a great group of guys, great coaching staff, um, and, you know, really excited uh, for, for uh, you know, what the end of the season is going to look like and, you know, for, for how deep we can go in the playoffs as well. And finally, Shane, the question that we ask all draft picks the last couple of years from Lucas Raymond to Simon Edvinson, what if the Red Wings, what if the Red Wings draft you? What, what do you know about the Wings growing up in Toronto and the, and the Kingston area? What if the Wings draft you? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's, it's such an incredible franchise, uh, a lot of history. Um, mm-hmm. It's unbelievable city as well and, and great people there. Um, I can remember going to playing in tournaments there, actually. Uh, when I was younger, uh, played in old Joe, Joe Louis arena there. Um, and, uh, you know, just playing, uh, you know, playing games there and, and playing tournaments. Um, and, and, you know, just, it would be a huge honor to be drafted there. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, unbelievable franchise and, uh, you know, would be a, a dream come true for sure. What was it like playing at Joe Louis arena when you, when you got a chance to, to play really in the home of the Stanley Cup champions, they were winning four cups over a short period of time. It was unbelievable. It was, uh, you know, really cool for me. I think it was, you know, the first time I've, when I, as a kid, you know, playing on, uh, you know, an NHL ice surface um, and, and actually playing a game there and, you know, getting to mm-hmm. walk around the stadium um, and, and uh, you know, play on the ice and look around in the stands and, um, and, and just look up and, you know, imagine myself in the future playing there in the NHL. So, just a great, just an unreal experience for me. Um, it's definitely, uh, you know, a great memory as well. Shane, thanks so much again for your time today and talking to us about uh, Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon, your teammates, your goals for the rest of the season, and even the wings and your experience there at Joe Lewis Arena. Good luck this weekend against Oshawa and Mississauga. Yeah, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Our thanks again to Shane Wright for his time earlier today. So, Ted, for just a moment, let's try and imagine what the Red Wings rebuild would look like with Shane Wright, number 51, the future captain in the lineup, right at center. Dylan Larkin would be your second-line center. There's no guarantee of a Stanley Cup. Connor McDavid is now in his sixth season without a title. Nathan McKinnon is in his ninth season. Steve Eiserman took 14 years. What do you make of the Red Wings, who probably won't get one of these generational-type players, but may be able to win like they did with Steve Eisenman at fourth overall, and maybe Lucas Raymond at fourth overall, could lead this team back into the playoffs? I tell you, my friend, I mean, like we started, I think, when we were talking about it. Mark, I mean, as we sit here right now doing this, I mean, can you honestly think they're going to be in that pool? I don't see it. I mean, they're... I think they're above that. I really do. I think over the long haul, even, I think they're going to be above that. But sure, I mean, whoever gets a generation, I mean, it helps to have a generational talent. But I don't think they necessarily, it's obviously, it doesn't hurt to have one of those. You want one of those types of generational players. But I think there's teams out there that have shown that you can go the other way and just build and construct a roster with uh, it does help to get that mid-round surprise somewhere along the way, but mm-hmm. we've done, we've seen what all the the pain and the losing is. You know, the last few years, you get a lot of draft picks, a lot of assets, and they're building it that way. And there's, I tell you, the next few years, there's going to be a lot more players. That the Edmondson kid is playing really well in Ed, in Sweden. Can you imagine him and Cider here for the next mm-hmm. decade? 
interesting. It's yeah. They've they've gone the another way, and it looks like it could bear some fruit here in the long run. For the record, the Wings have had the number one pick three times in their franchise history. Dale McCourt in 1977, Joe Murphy in 1986, and way back in 1964, just the second year of the NHL draft, Claude Gauthier. Gauthier never played in the NHL. Finally, Ted, let's hear now from Dylan Larkin. We just mentioned where Larkin would be ideally slotted on this team. Here he is talking about returning to the lineup after missing a week for personal reasons. Um, yeah, it was uh, extremely, it was a tough week uh, for me personally. And, uh, you know, I had to be home for a family emergency and, and uh, had to be with my family. So, um, you know, it's a private matter that, uh, you know, I hope, hope everyone can really respect uh, my, myself and, and my family's privacy right now during this tough time. Ted, you can hear it in Dylan Larkin's voice, the difficult time he's been through and is going through, a personal matter, he said, a family emergency. You can certainly understand his request for privacy. But what was it like covering the story? Jeff Blaschel knew the questions were coming. He respected the public's need to know. But ultimately, it was a private matter, right, Ted? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think people... I do think it could have been handled just somewhat differently. Had they just said family matter at the outset, I think people would have respected that. I really do. And Mm -hmm. I think it would have quelled all the speculation and the rampant speculation as the days went by. But that's a good point. Yeah. I think people are, but the thing is, I think obviously from this point forward, people are going to obviously respect the privacy and, Tell you what, played, came back. He played hard Sunday, had a goal last night, played well. Definitely, those three games definitely showed they do miss when they don't, when he's not in the lineup. Okay. It's a different team. It really is uh, not, not as strong, but hopefully, you know, everything works out well as, as far as the whole situation goes. And I know a lot of people are supporting him, obviously. Ted, thanks again for your time today. And that'll do it for this podcast, episode 62. For more Red Wings coverage, you can check out Ted's stories at DetroitNews.com. You can also find us on our Octopulse Facebook page, on Twitter, Instagram, Instagram Stories, and Snapchat. We also have a special rate of $1 for six months for a news subscription. Thanks again for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. (laughs) 